Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We finished chapter 8 last week. Uh, We're going to go probably halfway through the chapter here. We'll see what happens. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. We thank you for allowing us to be here. It appears that we're heading into COVID 2.0. And they're probably going to shut down again, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you for the church and that we're not going to close these doors. We're going to remain open for your glory, Father. And if that means prison time, it means prison time. We need one another. We need each other. We need the Word of God. We need to sing together and to to build relationships and to encourage and strengthen one another. So, Father, just give us wisdom and discernment in these days that we're in. Just such bizarre days. The agenda is obvious, and so we thank you for making it obvious. Help us to make it obvious to others, not to argue about masks or shots or this or that, but to talk of you, to talk of Jesus, to talk of what is going to take place, and no government is going to stop it. Your son's coming back right on time. The tribulation is going to take place. So, Father, give us wisdom. Give us discernment for your glory. I pray for the gift of teaching. Touch our hearts this morning via your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, you know, we find the Holy Spirit giving us direction in our Christian liberties in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And last Sunday, we studied one of the most important liberties of our Christian faith found in chapter 8. And that's the aspect of placing others and their possible weaknesses or immaturity in the faith before our own strengths or maturity in the faith. Such an important principle. You see, Paul stressed the point of knowledge without love. Knowledge alone will puff up and cause pride to reign in our lives. Agape love, though, that unconditional, committed, selfless love, with knowledge will lead to wisdom and building up of a mature Christian character. You see, God is very much concerned about our character, our character. For our true character will always come forth when we are challenged with placing someone else above ourselves. Will we find ourselves doing that? That's when our true character will come out, or are we still just self-centered? Is it still just about us? Well, in chapter 9 now, this morning, Paul is going to continue addressing Christian liberty by moving into the ministry. And even as an apostle, a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, a prisoner... Paul has certain liberties that give us today a clear direction about those who've called in the full-time ministry. So chapter 9, verse 1, am I not an apostle? If you're new to the Bible, this is Paul writing. Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So Paul starts out asking rhetorical questions, and a rhetorical question is a question with an obvious answer. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? You see, Paul had spent 18 months at Corinth being used by God to establish the church there. 
Those who became Christians were with Paul on a regular basis. Could you imagine living with Paul on a regular basis, seeing his life, his actions, listening to him, listening to his tone, his care, his concern? He had brought something to their culture that was very unique. Life wasn't about him, it was about them. And that's the example that Jesus gave. It was very unique, the teachings of Jesus. But there were some in the church who had issues with Paul, and I personally think there were some who didn't believe that he was genuine in his life of ministry, but that he was using the ministry for his own purposes. It was a problem then, and it's still a problem today, unfortunately. There are those who come into the ministry and use the flock of God for their own financial gain and for their own worldly comforts. So Paul addresses their concerns and gives us a biblical principle for those who are in full-time ministry. Notice apostle. Am I not an apostle? This word apostle here is a messenger, one sent with orders. One sent with orders. You see, Paul was an apostle. And as we've discussed before, there are two distinct groups of men who are called apostles. The first group are the original 12 apostles. It was this group of men that the Great Commission was given to. To go out and to educate the world about the fulfilling of the prophecies found in the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah. Judas, one of the original 12 apostles, chose not to fulfill that office, so Matthias, or Matthias, filled this position, his position and became the 12th apostle. Jesus mentioned that these 12 apostles one day would sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. These were unique in their position, and to this day, to this day, there is no 13th apostle. The early church had only 12, and when the 12th one died, the position of a direct apostle of Jesus was complete. Now, after a few years after Pentecost, a Pharisee named Saul was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians when he had an encounter with the risen Lord. So Saul, who became now known as Paul, is a part of the second group of men who are called apostles, apostles. It is not a matter of tracing their lineage back to the original 12. This is part of Roman Catholicism. This is part of Mormonism. So that they might appear to have special authority to add to the word of God. That's called religion, and that is very dangerous. Also, you will not find anything in the word to insinuate that type of practice. Rather, the second group of apostles are those who are sent to start a new work, or what we'd call a church. They have the gift of being an apostle, one who is sent with orders, a messenger. They go out and they start new fellowships in various areas of the nation or world. And once this new church becomes established, then they turn that fellowship over to a pastor and go out and start a new fellowship. These types of men could be called a modern-day apostle, and that still takes place today. I was on staff with Pastor John at Calvary Chapel Tri-City, and he was a modern-day apostle. He was the first Calvary in Arizona, and uh, he went around the state helping to start various churches, and then he would turn them over to men who became the pastors. So that's what apostle means today. Not like some of these churches that are trying to trace things back so that they can change the scriptures or add to the scriptures. So Paul says, am I not an apostle? They knew beyond any doubt that he was because they were the fruit of his apostleship. Look at verses 3 through 5. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? 
Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also other, the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord? Notice that, literal brothers of Jesus. Jesus has four brothers, at least two sisters, and Cephas. So Paul goes on to address the ministers of liberty within the body of Christ. First of all, Paul had the liberty to be married. The other church, early church fathers were married, some of them, including Peter. We know him from the gospel. Jesus went in and touched Peter's mother-in-law and healed her, and she got up and served. So yes, Paul's saying, don't, don't I have the privilege to marry? Don't I have the privilege to be taken care of by you, by the church? Verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? You see, it was Paul's liberty to devote his life to full-time ministry. The 12 apostles dedicated their lives to studying and teaching the word. And the early church supported them completely in this calling we've seen in Acts chapter 6. And as we study the book of Acts, we took note of Paul making tents, his career, his, his trade, Every rabbi would teach their son a trade. Every father would treat, teach their son a trade. Well, Paul was a tent maker. And there was times in the Gospels, or in Acts, not the Gospels, in Acts, where you will see Paul working, making tents to meet his needs because the people were not, the churches were not supporting him. He was humble enough to do whatever it took. He didn't sit idle until someone paid his way. He worked with his hands until others were inspired to support him. That support allowed him to focus his efforts totally on the establishing of churches while advancing the kingdom of God. He worked when necessary but had the liberty to be supported. Verses 7 through 10, whoever goes to war at his own expense. So now Paul is going to give some physical analogies to the Corinthians to teach a spiritual principle. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. So the question comes to mind, why should people be supported in the ministry? Well, because the word shows us the principle that Paul is explaining to the Corinthian church here. He gives them three examples that I've already mentioned. When you go to war, the state supplies the weapons. When you plant a vineyard, you reap a harvest provided by the Lord. When you shepherd a flock, you benefit from their produce. Physical analogies to help the Corinthians understand the spiritual principle of supporting their spiritual shepherd. So Paul asked the question, does God care for the ox or is God sending a message to his people? God is sending a message. And Paul happens to be the messenger to the Corinthians. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 10. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 10. Because the Jewish people already had this principle instilled in their culture. Those who ministered in the temple, 
the priests, the Levites, were taken care of by a portion of the sacrifices that were brought to the temple. God instructed the nation of Israel to support the priests so that they might dedicate themselves to serving him. There's a lot of verses that you can go over. I just picked a few here. Leviticus 10, 12. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons who were left. Take the grain offering that remains of the offering made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place. Notice that, in a holy place. Because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord, for so I have commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place. You, your sons, and your daughters with you, for they are your due and your son's due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. So again, here the, the nation of Israel was to support, they were actually to give land to the Levites. They were to give them a place to live freely. They were to help them to build their houses so that they could be about the business, the Lord's business. 1 Samuel 2, 13 and 14. Now again, this doesn't mean that they didn't work because they did work. They farmed and they had careers. But as a whole, they were to be supported for the work of the ministry. Second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 13 and 14 says this. And the priest's custom with the people. Now this is hundreds of years. They're now in Shiloh. They're in the land. It's hundreds of years after Moses. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So as we look back in Corinthians, again, this supplying of the priesthood and those who worked in the ministry was not a new concept for the Jews, but for the Corinthians, it was a new concept. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, we've taken the gospel, we've given you the gospel freely, no charge, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If those in the ministry are blessing the flock and the flock is growing, not necessarily physically, although that may happen, but most importantly, there is spiritual growth taking place on a regular basis, then that flock is responsible to support those who are ministering. Verse 12. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So you can see there that they were, they were paying some people to do just that, and Paul's basically calling them on the carpet. What's the matter with you? I'm your spiritual father. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endured all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. If someone comes along and expects support, shouldn't Paul have the same privilege? But Paul didn't use that privilege. 
lest someone might accuse him of abusing the privilege and turn away from the church or hearing the good news. So Paul was very careful about receiving of funds. Verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat the things of the temple? We just looked at that and talked about that. And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the Lord? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Pastor Chuck, who's with the Lord now and has been with the Lord for several years now, was a very faithful man, very, very faithful, and actually he was a businessman. He was a very wise businessman, and God blessed him abundantly in the ministry. But he always taught us that you should live within the means of the church. If the church, if the average income of the church is $25,000, then you should live at an income of $25,000. If it's 50, 50, if it's 100, 100, whatever the case may be. Um, I think some of you know this, but some of you might not. The average church size in America this day to this day is 50 people. That's the average church size in America. Most pastors are bivocational. In other words, they don't get paid by the church, or if they do get paid, it might be a little bit of something. They're out working 40, 50, 60 hours a week to provide for their family, to take care of themselves, and then they'll put in another 10, 20, 30 hours ministering to the church body. That is pretty much standard. We're very, very blessed here in this fellowship. Very blessed. You take care of us very, very well. None of us are making six figures, just so you know. I don't set the salaries. The board sets the salaries, and they have a book uh, that they go to every year to look at where we're at salary-wise, and this book basically has been put together by business people, and they've gone and they've interviewed all kinds of churches, all kinds of denominations throughout America, and it's based on demographics, it's based on location, it's based on the income, it's based on the number of people that attend the church, uh, your resources, so forth and so on. So I think most of you know, but we might have new people here. We run a very tight ship around here. And uh, the, the way that you know that that happens is we take 25% of everything that you give, 25% of that goes to missions directly every single Sunday. Our goal is to pay off the mortgage, which we're within five years of doing that. Right now we pay $11,000 a month. We all pay $11,000 a month to have everything that we have. And my desire, our goal, is to take that $11,000 and put it towards missions. So I want you to know we run a very, very tight ship around here. We try to do things very frugally to the best of our ability. We work around here, and we work hard. I believe in that. Um, It's very, very important that we give that example to the world and to you as a flock. That nobody's getting a free ride around here. We're doing what God has called us to do to take care of you, to be there for you, which is a huge blessing full time, to come and visit you uh, in hospitals, to do memorial services, to do whatever the case may be. It's a privilege, and none of us take it for granted. I want you to know that. Nobody on staff takes anything for granted. And it's not like we have special privileges around here because of the money that you give. No, we take it very, very serious. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 10. 
And unfortunately, the church has taken a black eye because of, unfortunately, so many pastors that abuse the system with uh, planes and multiple houses and multiple cars and this, that, and the other thing. God will take care of them. God will take care of them. But unfortunately, it does affect people's lives. And people will not give. People have left churches over it. They won't come back to church because of the hypocrisy. So we want to be... For our church, we're, very, we're super careful. We don't ever want that to happen. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I don't want anybody to leave the church or not come to church because they think that I, Paul, am abusing the system. So Paul is just super, super careful. And we are as well. Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then Jesus said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. This is happening even today. The harvest is great. People are receiving Jesus as their Savior. We're praying for a revival. We're praying for a revival. Uh, I'm not praying against God's will. If God's will is to take America down, God's will be done. As Gamaliel said to the council, if you fight against these men, if this is of God, you're going to be finding yourself fighting against God. I've read God's word. I hope that you're reading it from Genesis to Revelation. These things have to come to pass. I am never going to fight against God's will. I'm going to say, God, your will be done. But while we're falling apart, could we save somebody? Will you use us, God, to minister to people? Will you use us to reach the lost? Will you use us to whatever, it, whatever that looks like in your kingdom? And I pray that that's your prayer as well. Because the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And that's our prayer as staff. Uh, right now, I'm fulfilling my main call as you read the book of Ephesians. My main call in the pastorate is to disciple all of you, to train you all up, not to give you a bunch of jokes and funny stories and talk about my family and give you a cute little teaching and pat you on the head and send you away. No, no, no. It's to disciple you for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is here, but it's also in your life throughout the week, 24-7, in your workplace. We will never be able to come to your workplace. You go to your workplace. That is your ministry. For some reason, we think, well, I'm not in full-time ministry, so I'm not in the ministry. Let me clarify it. You're in the ministry. You're in the ministry. If you're married, your, your mate is your first ministry. That's your very first ministry. God is obviously number one. Your mate's number two. If you have children, that's ministry. You're raising up the next generation of believers. How's that going for you? How are you doing? Men, are you, are you trying to spend time with your children, reading them the Bible, taking them to the Word of God? Are you washing your wife in the water of the Word, you men? You ladies, are you having your private devotional time so that, as you, so that you can minister to your children throughout the week while your husbands are possibly out working 40, 50, 60 hours a week? It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing for ladies to be able to stay at home if they can. If not, that, that's, that's understandable. Things happen. But if you can, I encourage you to stay home and sacrifice the things of this world. It's not worth it. Your children are far more worth it. 
Go your way, verse 3. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. <laughs> How would you like to be listening to Jesus and thinking, this is just great, he's sending us out, this is going to be wonderful. And, all of a sudden, and they knew what that meant. Now you and I, not too many of us have a lamb, right? It's like not too many wolves around here. But then they heard that, they're kind of like, uh, what? <laughs> you're, you're sending us out as lambs in the midst of wolves? I'm not sure I want to do this. But notice what Jesus says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. And greet no one along the road, but whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. Notice Jesus saying, the people are going to take care of you. They're going to take care of you. But don't expect filet mignon if it's rice and beans. Eat the rice and beans. And this is a sad part about ministry, as I've already mentioned. The ministry has gotten a black eye because people want to live a certain lifestyle that is not biblical. Jesus goes on to say, For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Wait a minute, what are they laboring in? Are they building houses? Are they making widgets? No, they're out preaching the gospel. So in case you've wondered over the years or in your life, you know, should people be in full-time ministry? Should they be uh, being supplied for via the church? The answer is obviously yes. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, Eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust from your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near you. Now Jesus gives this commentary, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. Judgment. Interesting. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is going to clarify this issue even more. The Holy Spirit through Paul 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal was stirred up by the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest your boast, our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Ready for what? Ready to give. Ready to give a gift. Verse 4, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. 
Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, very important here, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation, a grudging obligation. I was raised in a church, and uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and they would come around and pass a plate, and I would see my dad throw in a couple bucks or throw in five bucks every now and then. And they would give offering envelopes, uh, which hardly ever got used in our household. It was an obligation, and he knew it, and he felt it, because he didn't have a relationship with God. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's unique about church Christian church is where to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're going to give funds and we're going to give it grudgingly, instead of giving it out of a love relationship, I encourage you to keep your money. God doesn't want it and God doesn't need it and nor do we. We don't want anybody giving grudgingly. But you want to understand the biblical principle of giving. It is a biblical principle that uh, we did a marriage ministry yesterday, a retreat, a one-day retreat, and I shared with the, uh, the, the, the people that uh, um, in Waddell uh, talked about finances. And when we were first married, we were making, I was making five fifty an hour, and Claudia was going to ASU to get her teaching degree. And what we did, the very first thing we did, every check I got, the very first thing we did, right off the top, not after taxes, not after Social Security, not after this, not after that, the gross, the gro- whatever the pay was at that time, is we gave money to God. We prayed as a couple. We prayed as individuals, and we gave money to God when our rent was $300 a month, and I was making five fifty an hour. Feel free to do the math at home. We didn't have a lot of money. We had a car with no air conditioning. We had plastic end tables. Our sofas were given to us, and they were third-hand. Not second-hand, they were third-hand sofas. And unfortunately, in our culture today, especially young people, they come from a parent's house that has all the wonderful things that has, that has taken them 30, 40, 50 years to acquire, to gain, and for some reason they think, well, we're supposed to have all of that. We're supposed to have all of that immediately. Everything should be brand new, sparkling, spick and span, and we need to have a nice place to live, and we need to have this, and we need to have that, and we need to have this. Oh, I don't have, I can't give any money to God. I've got to pay all these bills and with these credit cards, and I'm going to school and this and that. I want to encourage you. Give to God. You pray. You pray. And you ask God, what would you have me to give? And God will take care of you. We never missed a meal, guys, unless we purposely fasted. We never missed a payment. We have never had to declare bankruptcy. We are blessed beyond our means. We are so blessed. And when I went into full-time ministry, I took a half a cut in pay and no benefits, no insurance for 10 years. The children were 6, 8, 10, and 13 at the time. And in those 10 years, this is how God provides. Because some, you know, there's just this Christian fiction nonsense that goes around, you know. Well, you know, God is a heavenly slot machine. You give God $100, you're going to get 1000 back. You give God 1000 you're going to get 10000 Do I hear 10000 You're going to get 100000 Unscriptural. It's from the pit of hell. 
God took care of us, and we had fewer medical bills in 10 years. Here's a testimony of God, not of me, of God. We had fewer medical bills in 10 years than we had in one year when I was at Motorola. Through all of those sports years, driving years, no broken bones, no major accidents, God was faithful, is faithful, will always remain faithful. And to this day, we give off the top of of what you give to us. And 10% is, hey, if you want to use that as a gauge, it's great. It's an Old Testament principle. You will not find that teaching in the New Testament. I haven't found it yet. Yes, it's mentioned, but it's not dogmatic teaching. But we're getting into the teaching right now of what you and I, what we're supposed to be doing. And if you pray about it and you've been blessed abundantly and God says, you know, I want you to give this. And the teaching of the church says, no, you just give 10%. And it's more than 10%. What are you going to most likely fall back on? Not God. You're going to, well, the pastor says 10%, so God, I must be hearing you wrong, God, so I'm just going to give 10%. No, listen to God. God knows what he's doing. God has a plan and a purpose behind the funds for the gospel, and I think most of you who have been here for a while, you see that we use your funds very wisely. So verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God will take care of us, but don't always think of it and don't get caught up with the idea of dollar signs. It is not about dollar signs. So, verse 7, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Notice that. Well, how do you purpose in your heart? You spend time in prayer. Lord, what would you have me to give? What would you have us to give as a single person, as a marital couple, as a retired couple? Whatever the case may be, what would you have us to give? Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. This is the Holy Spirit inspiring the word of God here. So again, if you're giving because you have to give, keep your money. You don't have to give. It's a blessing, it's a privilege. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And I just want to give God the praise and a testimony for God's goodness. That verse has applied to our lives as we celebrated 40 years of marriage. We have done more, I bet, I bet, I would venture to say that my wife and I have probably done more in our lives than most of you in this room. Now, I'm not talking about ministry, I'm talking about living life, taking vacations. We took our family two times, we took our family on a 6,000 mile vacation. Once it was for three weeks, and once it was for two weeks. Every five years, we've gone away because our marriage is is so important to me. Every five years, we've gone away for two weeks. Kids will come and kids will go. We let them know that as soon as they could understand. You're not the center of our universe. And we would find other children their age, and they would go play with them for the two weeks, because we had four kids. And one time we came back, one of them even looked at us and said, you're back already? It's healthy. It's so healthy. But unfortunately, again, in our culture, the kids have become the center. 
And we don't go anywhere without the kids. We can't do anything without the kids. We've got to make sure that they have everything. Our children had one pair of shoes. When they became teenagers, if they wanted more, they had to, they had to get a job. They had to go mow lawns. They had 50%. We'll help you. We'll, we'll help you with 50%. They didn't have five, six, seven, eight, ten pair of shoes. We couldn't afford it. I'm not doing a woe is me. They're, they're not sad. They're not upset about it. They, we got so many wonderful memories. We just made the priority God, and God took care of us abundantly. Abundantly. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor his righteousness. Notice this, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You're blessing us with your funds. You're blessing other missionaries. You're blessing the church in Jerusalem. We want to thank you for blessing these saints. And as Jesus said, you're storing up treasure in heaven. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Wow, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, guys, it's all about prayer. It's all about relationship. And we'll wrap it up with this highlighted verse that we just read, but I highlighted it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, in her heart, in the heart of the marriage, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Are you praying about what you should give? We're just going word of God. This isn't a special teaching topical because the church is hurting for money. We're not hurting for money. You guys are so faithful. We have a wonderful savings account, and hopefully, uh, I got a call from the bank this past week. Uh, we're into our last five years. Uh, if we continue to do what we're doing, we will have that. We will have it paid off in the next five years. The, the, the remaining balance, we're hoping to pay it off earlier than that. So again, we can put the money towards missions. Just so you know, the bigger picture: your money is going to very good places. And I encourage you, go into the missions. We're getting stories from missions, missionaries that are out. When you give $300 to a missionary in India, that'd be like giving $3,000 to someone here in America. It just, it just builds their faith, and they're, they're ministering the gospel to so many people. And because of your gift, you're storing up treasure in heaven. It's not a light thing, and we don't take it lightly. You are storing up treasure in heaven, and we're going to remain faithful with whatever you give. But also pray about your time and your talents and your energy. Yes, the context this morning is about money, but also keep getting the bigger picture, like Wednesday night children's ministry or junior high ministry or high school ministry or, or any other ministry that might be taking place on the campus. How can you get involved? Ushering, greeting, what does it look like? What does your time, how, do you value your time? I know you do. Let's make sure we give of our time to God as well as to ourselves. 
Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we do as a staff, we thank you for a faithful flock. We're not lacking. We are blessed. We're abundantly blessed. And Lord, I thank you for a faithful staff who spends money wisely. Everyone on staff, all the volunteers, everyone is so frugal around here because we all take it so serious. This is your money, God. It's not ours. It's your money. And it's the money that this flock has given for the furtherance of the gospel. Not for the furtherance of our comforts, for the furtherance of the gospel. So continue to give us wisdom and discernment as money comes in. Give us wisdom with missionaries. Give us wisdom with ministering to people here in our community. Lord, we just want to continue to be wise with what you have given to us for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.